Welcome to the podcast for the Northwest Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Atlanta. Our minister is the Reverend Terry Davis, and each week we'll record audio of the sermon and reflections from members of the congregation from the pulpit at our home in the woods. Thank you for joining us. You can visit us in person at 1025 Mount Vernon Highway Northwest in Sandy Springs or on the web at nwuuc.org. March 27, 2016, Easter and Flower Communion, reading by the Rev. Joan Armstrong Davis, and sermon by Rev. Terry Davis. worship this morning begins with these words from the book of Luke, chapters 23 and 24. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how Jesus's body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments according to Jewish burial customs. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find Jesus' body. Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their heads to the ground, but the men said to them, "'What do you look for, the living among the dead?' He is not here, but has risen. As Unitarian Universalists whose religious roots are in the Christian tradition, we lift up this holy story and this holy day of the Christian faith today. We lift it up, not just as people who literally believe in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, not as people who do, but as people who need the saving message of love and hope and life this ancient myth offers. And so we join our Christian siblings on this day. We join them with wonder and awe at love's amazing ability to fill the darkest places in our lives with bright and streaming light. We join them with deep gratitude for the miracle of life that we find in this season and that occurs every day and everywhere on earth. We join our Christian siblings in celebrating Easter's message of hope reborn, of peace restored, and of understanding regained. The understanding that we're not separate and alone, but live in holy connection to everyone and to everything. This morning is an excerpt from The Heart of Christianity, Rediscovering a Life of Faith by Marcus Borg. Why do we need to be born again? 
Why do we need to die to an old way of being and an old identity and then be born into a new way of being and a new identity? The reason is because of something that happens in us very early in life and then is intensified by the process of growing up. What happens early in our lives is the birth of self-consciousness. By this, I mean simply self-awareness. That is, awareness of the distinction between self and world. How early this happens, we cannot say with precision, but it clearly seems to happen in the pre-verbal stage of life. A newborn infant is not yet conscious of being a self. With good parenting, infants initially experience the world as an extension of themselves. They get hungry, they get fed. They get wet, they get changed. They cry, they get picked up. But at some point, infants in the process of becoming toddlers become aware that the world is separate from themselves. Several years ago, I was told a story about a three-year-old girl. She was the firstborn and only child in her family. But now, her mother was pregnant again, and the little girl was very excited about having a new little brother or sister. Within a few hours of the baby coming home with his parents from the hospital, the girl made a request she wanted to be alone with her new brother in his room with the door shut. Her insistence about being alone with the baby with the door shut made her parents a bit uneasy. But then they remembered that they had installed an intercom system in anticipation of the baby's arrival. So they realized they could let their daughter do this. If they heard the slightest indication that anything strange was happening, they could be in the baby's room in an instant. So they let the little girl go into the baby's room, shut the door, and then they raced to the intercom listening station. They heard their daughter's footsteps across the floor of the baby's room, imagined her standing over the baby's crib, and then they heard her say to her three-day-old brother, Tell me about God. I've almost forgotten. The story is both haunting and evocative, for it suggests that we come from God, and that when we are very young, we still remember this, still know this. But the process of growing up of learning about this world is a process of increasingly forgetting the one from whom we come and in whom we live. The birth of self-consciousness is the birth of the separated self. The sense of separation and self-concern is intensified by the process of growing up. Our identity and way of being are more and more shaped by the world, meaning the world as we internalize it 
in the process of growing up. The world of the child, with its mystery and magic, is left farther and farther behind. Thus, we need to be born again. It is the road of return from our exile, the way to recover our true self, the path to being to beginning to live our lives from the inside rather than from the outside in. The exodus from our individual and collective selfishness. To be born again involves dying to the false self, to that identity, to that way of being, and to be born into an identity centered in the spirit. It is the process of internal redefinition of the self, whereby a real person is born within us. Here ends the reading. their third child, a baby boy, about a month ago. I was hoping to see the new baby, of course, and I wanted to catch up with the couple and learn how things were going as they made room in their lives for this new little life. I arrived at their house with raisin bread for the adults and Easter cookies for their two older children. And after seeing the baby in his crib on a little monitor in their kitchen and deciding it was best not to disturb him, they asked if they could show me their home. They seemed most excited to take me to their backyard. As we stepped out onto the back deck and walked down the stairs, I understood the reason why. Stretched out on almost an acre of property was a mosaic of carefully laid out garden beds, each set apart by a border of heavy stones. The couple led me up and down the rows, pointing out an astonishing variety of vegetables, fruits, and herbs that were growing or would soon be growing there. There were raspberry arches, blueberry bushes, and a fig tree. There was rosemary, thyme, sage, mint, and lemon balm. There were carrots and turnips and winter kale. Here, said the wife as she broke off an asparagus stalk that was growing upright from the soil and handed it to me, taste this. I bit into the asparagus and I was surprised at how tender and how sweet it was. Nothing at all like the often hard and stringy stalks I was accustomed to buying. Isn't it amazing, her husband said. It's hard to go back to the store-bought kind after you've eaten asparagus like that. As I continued to take note of the abundance of produce that this couple had in their backyard, it was also hard not to notice their enthusiasm. For instance... As they casually pulled up a turnip here or picked some lemon balm there, I noticed the cheerful way that they told their gardener stories of proliferation or challenge. 
They laughed as they told a story about the orange and white carrots that wouldn't stop growing. They shrugged with acceptance as they told another about the hill that was too steep for a strawberry patch, but perfect for raspberries. And another about the invasive nature of mint. Well, I found myself in awe of them. For sure, I was in awe of their green thumbs, but I was also in awe of their delight. That garden seemed to bring forth an exuberance that I've observed in the very young. I had imagined that I might be visiting a new baby boy that afternoon and a couple of sleep-deprived adults. But instead, I encountered two vibrant people, their spirits alive and soaring in their beautiful and magical garden. It was a humbling experience to be in the presence of such abundance of joy and of life. And my visit to them was a reminder that to rediscover my own soaring spirit, I must be willing to allow the weightiness of my self-centered life to die a necessary death. In other words, it's good not to take myself or my responsibilities too seriously too much of the time. It's good to take a walk in the garden or some other setting for the soul, and by doing so, give my worries the opportunity to die and my joy the opportunity to be reborn. And so, my message to you is this this morning. Easter Sunday is our invitation. It's our invitation to cast aside those doubts and fears and let them die a necessary death. It's our invitation to experience awe and joy. Easter is our invitation to live. Easter says that something must die in order for our faith and possibility to be reborn. Easter says that we should expect miracles in our lives, including the miracle of a garden and the natural world, the miracle of love and forgiveness, of changed hearts and minds, and of healing peace. Marcus Borg, the author of this morning's reading, affirms that, like the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, we need to die to an old way of being and an old identity in order to be born into a new way of being and a new identity. He argues that this identity is actually a reclaiming of our original God-consciousness and God-connectedness, which we might also understand as our original sense of life's sacredness and our connection to it. Borg says that we lose the sense of sacred connection and consciousness as we grow older and become more preoccupied with the outside world and our self-centered interests. He illustrates this point by telling the story of that three-year-old girl who desperately wants to quiz her new baby brother about God, perceiving that he's closer to his memory of his connection with the holy than she is. He then writes, The sense of separation and self-concern is intensified by the process of growing up. The world of the child with its mystery and magic is left farther and farther behind. Thus, 
We need to be born again. It is the road of return from our exile, the way to recover our true self, the path to beginning to live our lives from the inside out rather than from the outside in, the exodus from our individual and collective selfishness. Well, I can't help but wonder whether our Unitarian ancestors threw the baby out with the bathwater when they adamantly argued that logic must be applied to understanding the Bible and the story of Jesus' resurrection. Perhaps they tried too hard to understand the question, how, rather than consider the questions, why, and what now. In other words, why did the story of Jesus include his resurrection from the dead? And what are we to do now with that story as post-Protestant, post-Christian, Unitarian Universalists? Well, with regard to the why question, it's not hard to imagine that people who were living in the harsh world of first century Palestine needed a message of hope and new life, just as so many of us do now. I imagine they needed to believe that oppression and death weren't the last words, that peace and connection with the God of their understanding was to eventually be theirs. Whether or not we believe in God or in an afterlife, I imagine that each of us nevertheless needs stories that instill a sense of hope and leave us with the promise of a better world. With regard to the what now question, Marcus Borg, who was a liberal Jesus and biblical scholar, he suggests that we return to those holy and original instincts we had as young children those instincts that led us to laughter, to play, and to wonder. He says that our failure to do this, to allow our self-consciousness and our worldly concerns manage our lives and consume our spirit, is to live a heartbreaking existence. Borg refers to a poem by U.S. Poet Laureate Billy Collins as an example of what it feels like to lose our precious connection to our childlike sense of magic and mystery. Entitled, On Turning Ten, the poem goes like this. The whole idea of it makes me feel like I'm coming down with something. Something worse than any stomach ache or the headaches I get from reading in bad light. A kind of measles of the spirit a mumps of the psyche, a disfiguring chickenpox of the soul. You tell me it's too early to be looking back, but that is because you have forgotten the perfect simplicity of being one and the beautiful complexity introduced by two. But I can lie on my bed and remember every digit. The poem continues. At four, I was an Arabian wizard. I could make myself invisible by drinking a glass of milk in a certain way. At seven, I was a soldier. At nine, a prince. But now, I am mostly at the window, watching the late afternoon light. Back then, it never fell so solemnly against the side of my treehouse. 
and my bicycle never leaned against the garage as it does today. All the dark blue speed drained out of it. This is the beginning of sadness, I say to myself, as I walk through the universe in my sneakers. It is time to say goodbye to my imaginary friends. Time to turn to the first big number. It seems only yesterday I used to believe there was nothing under my skin but light. If you cut me, I would shine. But now, when I fall upon the sidewalks of life, I skin my knees. I bleed. Thinking back on my visit with that Northwest couple, I believe that I was with adults that afternoon whose hearts radiated with the joy and the imagination of a nine-year-old, or perhaps an eight-year-old, or seven-year-old, or six-year-old, certainly not a ten-year-old. For them, there was magic in their backyard garden, and there was light under their skin. And I imagine that if I cut them in that moment, they would both shine, shine with dazzling glory, like those two men in dazzling clothes who told the frightened women about the miracle of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. As we go from here, as we watch our children find their Easter eggs, as we perhaps get another glimpse of Santa and the Easter Bunny, as we eat together and enjoy the fellowship and friendships that we find here, may we once again experience Easter's message of hope, and its invitation to wonder. May our fears and our sense of separateness die a necessary death so that our childlike joy and sense of connection to the holy can be reborn. May it be so. Amen. Universalist minister Norbert Chapik was the founder of our Flower Communion service. He introduced this to his congregation in what was formerly the country of Czechoslovakia over 90 years ago. The word communion means to come together, to share something deeply important and meaningful. Reverend Chapik thought that the people of his congregation needed a ritual that they could share and would draw them more closely together. And the countryside of Czechoslovakia was full of beautiful wildflowers. And perhaps Reverend Chapik knew that sharing flowers was something that all the members of his Unitarian congregation could agree upon. And so this is how that tradition began. The gathered flowers in our vases, snipped from your yards or bought in stores, are symbols of fellowship and our diversity. They're also symbols of hope. And we hope for good things in this season of Easter and of spring. So adapting the words written by Norbert Chapik, uh, Joan Armstrong Davis is joining me in the pulpit to consecrate our flowers this morning. And to consecrate means to simply say words that will let us know that these flowers represent something very special to us and to our lives. We offer a blessing on these tiny messengers of fellowship and love 
As we are different in so many ways, may these flowers remind us to be one in desire and affection and devotion to what is most important to us. May they also remind us of the value of friendship, of doing and sharing alike. May we cherish friendship as one of life's most precious gifts. May we be supportive of each other and realize that whatever we can do, great or small, the efforts of all of us are needed to make this world a better place. May it be so. May it be so. Alleluia, spring is here. May its mystery and beauty remind us that life continually invites us to grow and renew in spirit. And may our Easter celebration today remind us that it's good and right to hope for more harmony, understanding, and freedom in this world. By our words and our deeds, we can usher in the new dawn that we seek. Our service has ended. May you go in peace.